0: how to discern what God was doing I just knew that it was time for me to turn my church work over to a national pastor that we've been training and preparing for that and um, and you know I thought maybe perhaps we'd go back to England and start a church in the city of York which is one of been my dream for a long time but God never ever gave me that uh, opportunity to do that but uh, so that year in 2008 with this news of Sharia law courts becoming official in the United Kingdom. Let me say this, what this means and doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that the whole British population now lives under Sharia law. It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is that a sovereign nation, a powerful nation in the world, the eighth powerful nation in the world, has said, we as a sovereign land require that everyone who lives in our country abides by our laws except Muslims. They don't have to live by our legal system anymore. We now permit them to live by their own legal system. Folks, I don't know if you understand that. That's dangerous. That's dangerous to say that our laws apply to everyone, but not these people. And uh, and why? Why would you do that? Well, everyone knows that if Muslims aren't happy, you're not going to be happy because they will make your life miserable if they don't. If you don't make them happy because they'll agitate and riot and mayhem, and, uh, and it won't stop, it's relentless. And so the, Brit- the Muslims have been petitioning and aggravating the government over a number of years. And you see, back then I didn't get, I didn't understand the agenda of Islam then. And uh, that event though caused me to really study this thing out. And, uh, and so some of the things I observed there in Britain and seeing in Europe uh, the control of Muslims in taking over and shaping and influencing their societies to become more Islamic, um, I began to see this as judgment on the West for our sins. You know, do you believe that God has any justification to judge America for our sins? <laughs> I believe he's fully uh, justified to do that our sins are great. We've become a nation that's rebelled against God's standard, and we know better because we were fashioned and framed under those standards. So I began preaching this in the pulpits of America that America needs revival, amen? Uh, The only hope for us is revival, but revival only comes through the doorway of repentance. There must be a first uh, 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 national repentance of our sin, for god to restore us back to blessing and revive us but um and i see islam as an instrument of god's judgment upon the west upon europe and upon america europe's further down the road they've been at this rebellion against god much longer than we and they're further down in the trenches with this and islam i believe is god's instrument when i say god i mean jehovah god jehovah's god's instrument of judgment for the rebelling against against him and um, and so through this study and, and um, things then I began to develop uh, getting onto the radio and uh, and I must say <laughs> uh, brother Dale I've probably packed more of my head in the last seven years than I have in the previous 10 years before then it's a constant desire and a hunger for me to know and understand the teachings of islam and to expose it for what it is it's a false religion i generally refer to islam as an ideology that masquerades as a religion i said yesterday uh this uh, and let me say it again can you imagine hitler with a god if hitler did what he did in the name of a religion it would have protections for that propaganda to be taught in this nation, consider that if if Nazism was a religion, they would be able to send their preachers of propaganda into our country under the religion of Nazism to uh, develop a belief system and recruit people to that position. Uh, by the way, you know the Nazi Party was the national. Uh, society of socialism i can't believe here in america we're having a socialist do so well in the political game today isn't that something well that's another topic anyhow <laughs> so better get off on that off that horse but anyhow but you know it's just amazing what we're seeing going on in our world today isn't it but if if, if hitler did what he did in the name of a god it wouldn't be less evil would it it would still be evil well, the same doctrines, the same type of government that Islam demands is the same type of government that Hitler was conducting, a totalitarian government. And um, if you know your history, you know that uh, the Muslims fought with Hitler during World War II. There were Muslim SS divisions in the Balkans. Uh, the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, who was of the Muslim Brotherhood, was involved in that and um and we saw a union well anyhow god uh, began to you know uh you know cause in my heart to study these things out and expose it call america to repentance but also to see muslims come to christ we say this often don't blame muslims for islam muslims do what they do because of islam muslims are victims of islam and they need to be freed from that and uh in Today I wanna talk to you about um, a passage in scripture that I find, every Muslim that I've come across that I've shared this with, I find Muslims to be very attracted to this verse, to these verses in the Bible. And so I've entitled this message, uh, the most fascinating passage in the Bible to a Muslim. And if you ever wanna see a Muslim come to Christ, you first have to get them into this book. Faith cometh by and by the word of God. So we must get them into this book if we're ever going to see them get saved. Do you think Muslims can get saved? Amen. Do you think God has, that Jesus has provided enough atoning blood for the remission of their sins as well? Amen. Uh, Avi Lipkin, I was having lunch with Avi Lipkin about three years ago. Avi is in the, knesset in in israel in israel they their parliament is called the knesset and he's the leader of his political party it's a christian jewish party small party there's only two seats in the knesset that uh, that they have and um and i was having lunch with avi and Avi's his wife is uh, she has an arab descent she speaks fluent arabic and she works in the intelligence department for the IDF for the Israeli Defense Force. And uh, so she listens uh, to all the communication and chatter that's coming from the Arab nations, their TV and stuff like that. And so she, you know, is an an intelligence officer. And so she feeds him with a lot of uh, very interesting information. And uh, and I, I follow Avi online and what he has to say. But I had him on my radio program, and before that we were having lunch, and he told me this. He said, Tom, and now he's a Christian, a Jewish Christian, and he said, Tom, if we don't win Muslims to the Lord, they'll kill us with the sword. I thought that was an interesting comment as a Jewish Christian living in Israel and understanding the threat of of Islam. Now, not every Muslim, though, is following their religion. Are every Christians out here in America following our faith I mean, let's face it, a lot of people call themselves Christians, and they've never darkened the door of a church. They probably don't even own a Bible, much less study the Bible. And so people may say there's something, but they really don't practice it. The same thing's true in Islam. And there is a number of Muslims in the world, especially a great host of them that have come here to the West, that are following a so-called reformed theology. Uh, They're trying to reform Islam. They think they've heard that Christianity had a reformation, so why can't they? Right? If Christianity can have a reformation and makes them peaceful, we can do that. And their idea, they don't really know what our reformation was. They think though it's a time the church originally it was violent. It was carrying the sword and killing, you know, we had the crusades and you know the the inquisitions and all that type of stuff. By the way, let me say this about the Crusades because Muslims always want to throw that up in our face. You know, well, you know, you, you know, you Christians, you got a lot of blood on your hands because of the Crusades. Now, the Crusades were initiated first because of what the Muslims had done. The Muslims had invaded Christian territories and taken over Christian property and christian territories with the sword and so the christians in europe responded to that and went with the sword to fight to take back land that the muslims had taken from us but they always make it look like we're the bad guys now in truth the crusaders the uh, so-called christians at that time uh were very very brutal and not only did they kill Christians as they traveled to Israel and to that to the Middle East to take over land that the Muslims had taken but they also killed and slaughtered many Jews along the way. And so, you know, certainly uh, a perversion of Christianity was in control. And the uh, the idea of the reformation is that a perversion had developed within Christianity that wasn't biblical Christianity. And the reformation was basically bringing the scripture back to play into the church, into the teachings of churches. So it was taking it from a perversion back to a biblical stand. That's a very loose explanation of the Reformation. But Muslims believe, okay, well, the Reformation of Christianity was taking a militant, time, a militant teaching of Christianity and making it peaceful. So that's what we need in Islam. Islam is militant. We need a Reformation to make it peaceful. But what they're doing is taking it from a scriptural point, which is militant, and trying to make it into something that Muhammad never taught. Are you following me? They're taking it from a fundamental point of view into a fantasy, into a perversion. And that's what the reformers are doing. Well, thankfully, that's what's being preached a lot here in America when it comes to Islam, this fantasy that Islam's a religion of peace. But it's not what Muhammad gave. Are we, am I being clear here on this? And so, um, so most of the Muslims that are here are either non-practicing or they've been indoctrinated with a reformed theology. They reject all the militant passages. They kind of have an interesting way of interpreting them away. And they reject the teachings, many of the teachings of their prophet Muhammad and just claim that they were uh, we can't say that they really are true teachings of Muhammad. And so, but they, it's okay for the ones that they do believe in, but the ones that they don't want to believe in, they uh, excuse them away. And, uh, and so, uh, so there is a, uh, a lot of doctrine being taught that is not con- uh, consistent with the traditional teachings of Islam. Um, I, let me just stop for a moment and mention this, and then I can move on. If you want to know more, about Islam and these issues there. May I recommend maybe getting a copy of my book, Refuting Islam, it's just $10, and and in there it's just packed with hundreds and hundreds of references, it's a reference book, full of of the real teachings of Muhammad and the Quran that will really prove what this religion really is all about, and uh, more is there. Take your Bibles, if you would, in John chapter three, and I want to show you this verse that Muslims find to be perhaps the most fascinating story in the Quran. And in John chapter three, we find Jesus speaking to to, to Nicodemus. And let me explain to you how I expose or, or introduce this to a Muslim. The most powerful thing that I've ever found, that, that i that I found that works a lot with Muslims is asking Muslims this question. Have you ever let a Christian open the Bible and explain it to you? And if, if you ever want to, would you let me do that? I promise I'm not going to tell you I'm right and you're wrong. But I believe that if you would read the Bible, and after all, you believe that the Bible came from your God, Allah, the Gospels at least, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you were to pray to the God of Abraham as you read it, that it will confirm to you that it is God's word, I believe God will do that. And uh, and I invite them to read the gospel of John with me. And usually when we find a Muslim getting up to about chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, they get it. They're already there. They believe this is God's word. And the religion that they've been taught is false. And Christianity is true. It doesn't take them too long to get into God's word to see that. And, um, but most Muslims are resistant to reading the Bible because they've been told it's been corrupted. So that's why I encourage them to pray to the God of Abraham, that he'll speak to him and confirm it. Now, yesterday I explained why we pray to the God of Abraham. If I tell a Muslim, pray to God, that he will confirm that this is God's word, his word. What God are they going to pray to? Their God is Allah. But if I ask them to pray to the God of Abraham, they believe that their God is the God of Abraham. But if they truly are praying to the God of Abraham, who was the God of Abraham? Jehovah God, Yahweh, our God. And maybe for the first time in their life, they're now praying to the true God. God of Abraham, confirm to me that this is your word. And so, you know, when I speak to Muslims, I refer to my God being the God of Abraham. And, uh, and so um, when we get to, but if I don't have an opportunity to build a friendship with a Muslim and invite him to read the Quran, uh, to read, sorry, to read the Bible together, and I've just got a short time with this Muslim. Here's how I'll introduce this passage. I'll, I'll ask, him, ask him, did you ever hear the story in the Gospels, in the Injeel? That's the, what they call the Gospels, the Injeel. I-N-J-E-E-L, the Injeel. Did you ever hear the story in the Injeel? Where Isa, that's their name for Jesus, where Isa really rips into a Jewish leader and tells him off. Have you ever heard that story? And the Muslim will say, no, I've never heard that. Said, would you like to hear it? Yeah. Anytime a Muslim can hear where Jesus tells off a Muslim, especially a Muslim leader, they want to know about this story. And so, well, it's found in the book of John, in the Injil, chapter 3. And let's read that, if you would, with me. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So basically he's confessing, we know you gotta be from God because you know, you're know you it, you're it, we can tell, we know it. And But he's doing this by night secretly Now, later we find evidence that that Nicodemus really did become a believer because he is uh, speaking before the Sanhedrin, protecting Jesus on one occasion. And then uh, later, when Jesus had, uh, after he was crucified, he's the one uh, with Josephus who's also trying to claim the body of Jesus so that they could bury him. And so I think there's evidence that Nicodemus did become a believer. But here he's curious. He's meeting with Jesus. and verse 3, he says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of god nicodemus saith unto him how can a man be born when he is old can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born jesus answered verily verily i say unto thee except a man be born of water and of the spirit he cannot see the kingdom of god so there's two uh, two births here the physical birth the birth of water and the birth of the Spirit, the spiritual birth. Now drop down to verse number uh, number uh, 10. And, and Nicodemus is still confused, and he's still arguing with the Lord on this. I don't understand this. And Jesus says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? So he's really telling him off here. He's saying, You know, eh, you're supposed to be a leader here, and you're just not getting it, buddy. And so he really, uh, really gets into him. Now, what's this message? What does it mean? Maybe I'm on there and not on here. Let's get this going here. There we go. What does it mean to be born again? And if I have a piece of paper, I'll draw this out. But I don't, it won't work here as a piece of paper, so I'm going to try to illustrate it this way. At one time in your life, you will have a physical birth. Is there anyone here who's not yet had that yet? Okay. All right. Good. So there's your physical birth. Now for me, that was almost 50 years ago. In June, It'll be 50 years. And, uh, and so there's your physical birth now, somewhere through the course of life, hopefully many, 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 many years. You're going to have your physical death. Is there anyone here who's already had that? Okay, not yet. Might die during this message. But anyhow. So, somewhere between here and there is the expanse of your life, your existence here on earth. Now, Jesus says, if you're going to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. So, somewhere between there and Over there, you need to have a spiritual birth to be born spiritually. You were born physically. You'll die there. Somewhere, there needs to be a spiritual birth. Am I going too fast? All right. Why do you need a spiritual birth? Well, because before you were born, many, many years ago in the garden of of Eden, there was a spiritual death for mankind. You knew that was coming, didn't you? Some of you were ready already to give me that. All right. No more. All right. So before you were born... Mankind experienced a spiritual death. What am I talking about? When Adam and Eve were in the garden, God created also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said to them, eat freely. Enjoy it all, but don't eat of the tree. knowledge of good and evil and they said where is it and god said also now we don't know exactly because some suggest that maybe they added to this don't touch it but we know for sure god said in the day the day that ye eat thereof ye shall what surely die okay now they did eat, did they die physically? They didn't have a physical death then that day. So what died? It was a spiritual death. Now, what is death? Death is separation. When someone dies, they're separated from us. When I die, I'll be separated. The real me that lives in this vessel. will be separated from this vessel. Now, yesterday, I told you how I like to think about this vessel. I like to think that the reason why it's so large is because there's no way possible you could put all the good qualities that I possess in a smaller vessel. But you all know then that I'm just full of baloney on that. But uh, but anyhow, Tom Wallace will be separated from this vessel one day at my spiritual, sorry, my physical death. So that's what death is. Death is separation. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they disobeyed God. God said, The day that ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. So there was a spiritual separation from God. That's why when Jesus said, In order for you to see the kingdom of heaven, you have to be reunited with God. There has to be a spiritual birth because you already had a spiritual death. Now, Is there anyone here who does not suffer from the human condition? Okay, we all suffer from the human condition. And this is part of the human condition. That we all, because we're separated from God, we now have the nature of sin. And the Bible teaches us that that sin nature or the penalty of sin is passed through from man to man. Or mankind, I should say, even women, you're involved in this too, okay? But because Adam sinned, did you know that the blood is where the where that sin line comes through? And so it's the bloodline of the father. You know what, kids? When you mess up, when your parents say, What possessed you to do this? Then you can say, Dad, it's your fault. <laughs> As looking to this, I look at the side and say, Don't you say that? Okay. But uh, but you see, the, the bloodline. This is why when Jesus was born, it was necessary for him to be born of a virgin. Being born of a virgin means he had he was born of the seed of woman, but he did not have the seed of man that created him. Are you following me? It, the, the, the seed. Didn't come from a human man, but came from God the Father. Okay, and so that's why Jesus was without sin, and that's why His blood was the perfect blood atonement for our sins. You know, there's some some words in the Bible that sometimes don't make sense, but you know the word iniquities, iniquities. Sometimes we think that some words are just synonymous for other words. In some ways they are, because we can say, well, you know, he died for man's sins. And the Bible also says he died for man's iniquities. And, and quite honestly, you know, I've been I was pastoring for a number of years. And uh, and I thought, you know, I really don't know what iniquities means. So I went to the books and, you know, the lexicons and all that, trying to figure out what does iniquities mean. And actually, there's very little written On what iniquity means. But the best I can discern, the best I can understand is that iniquities basically means it's like a bank account. Now some of us, uh, if you're like me, it's not a very big bank account, okay? But if I had a bank account for my sins, that would be a big bank account. And iniquities it's like a bank account. It's the accumulation of your sins. But Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sins. Now, do you know how dangerous one sin is? Just having one sin in your bank account could, be, could make the difference between heaven or hell. James chapter 2, verse 10 tells us how dangerous one sin is. James chapter two, verse 10 says, if a man keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Wow. In God's book, just one sin means you you, you're a lawbreaker. And that's true, isn't it? If you break the law, you're a lawbreaker, even if you just break it one time. If I throw a brick through that window. I'd run. (laughs) <laughs> but if it's broken in one place or broken in a 100 places, it's still broken. Are you following me? If you have a chain and there's ten links to the chain and God's holding the top end of the chain and you're holding the bottom end of the chain and below you is hell, how many links do you have to break before you're in trouble? Just one. You getting the picture? If you break the law, you're a law breaker. There's another passage in the Bible I love. It's in First John, chapter two. And it says this, and it uses a word that we don't use very often in our common, um, you know, discussions today. The word is propitiation. When was the last time you used that word, huh? You know, I was down there at the shop and I made a propitiation. You know, propitiation means a payment. And it says, for He, speaking of Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. And not our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. I love that verse. Jesus is the payment for our sins. But that word propitiation, payment, doesn't mean a partial payment. He is a payment in full. Have you ever gotten that letter from that credit creditor? Paid in full. You know, when I was just coming out of college, I bought a brand new car. First time I ever bought a brand And only time. I'll never do make that mistake again. But uh, I bought a brand new car. And guess what? It was only 60 easy payments. I never found one of those easy payments. Every one of those hurt. But finally, I got that letter. It is paid in full. You don't owe us anything else. And you see, the blood of Jesus Christ is the payment because he is the man without sin. He is the acceptable sacrifice. And when Jesus paid our sins, he spilled his blood willingly. He gave up his life so that he could pay for our sins so we don't have to. But there's a caveat. The caveat is that you have to believe and trust you have to trust in that and accept that and admit you need it confess that you cannot make it to heaven by your good works you have to give up your your self-righteousness you're not good enough you deserve if you got what you really deserved you would get god's wrath because of your sin your bank account of sin your iniquities of sin is full and not just one but even if it was one it still would make you guilty and put you in trouble with God. And so when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. So somewhere between, sorry, your physical birth and your physical death, you need to have a spiritual birth. Now for me, it was when I was five years old. My parents sent me to church and Sunday school And I was exposed to the gospel and understood the message of what Jesus did and died for my sins. And I understood it as a five year old boy. And I accepted and trusted in Jesus Christ and was saved that day. And I had my spiritual birth. And it's been that was 45 years ago. Now, let me close with this. Muslims Do not go to hell because they're Muslim. They go to hell because they reject Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the story of my friend, Sharam. Sharam is on the radio with me. And by the way, you can get our radio broadcast on our website. We're not on locally here. Maybe one day we'll be come down into Florida. I guess uh, the networks that I'm on just doesn't catch this audience down here. I wished it did, and uh, but uh, but uh, you can catch our, our radio shows uh, on online. And if you have iTunes, you can get us on iTunes. It's free, okay? And uh, and I love I love iTunes because it just sits in your inbox. You subscribe, it's like email, and when it's when you have the time, you know you listen, and. Um, But Sharam is on the radio with me. He is a former Muslim from Iran. It's one thing to hear about Islam from a missionary. That's my perspective. But it's another thing to hear about Islam from a guy who was raised as a Muslim and uh, came to the realization that it's not true and found the truth and came to Christ. And today he's a Christian pastor. Let me tell you how he got saved. It's very interesting. Now he was raised in Iran. As a little boy, he left Iran when he was 11, so he didn't live there very long, but uh, he's the youngest of, of his uh, family. And um, uh, his dad was in the army. He was a colonel under the Shah. Remember back in 1979, uh, Jimmy Carter was president and he had thrown the Shah under the bus. And it had created an opportunity opportunity for the Ayatollah Khomeini, the Khomeini's in now, the Khomeini came in then in 79. And uh, and they could see things were going south. And because he was a servant of in the army for the Shah, his life was uh, at risk. So he uh, escaped Iran with his suitcases and his family, and they found their way to Canada and later into the United States. And so Sharam kind of grew up here in America. And when he was a teacher in Atlanta, he was a teacher there, a student of his who was just a young Christian lady, she loved the Lord, and she just simply shared the love of Christ and the gospel of Christ with just about anyone she could possibly do that with. And, uh, and she was sharing some of her beliefs with her Muslim teacher. And one day, she, uh, her pastor had preached the Easter message, and it was on a cassette tape, on the front side, now cassette tape for young people who are here let me explain this to you. This is well, just talk to an older person. They'll explain it what one is, OK? But on the one side, it had the pastor preaching the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And on the other side, the reverse side, it had the message of his resurrection. Let me let me share this with you in this book, the Quran, The Quran tells Muslims and 1.6, 1.7 billion people in the world today are following this book as, as scripture. This book tells Muslims that Jesus was just a man. He was just a man. We Christians have blasphemed that we've made a man a God. But Jesus was a prophet of God, but just a man. No more God than you and I. Okay? This book also tells Muslims that Jesus was not crucified. Two verses in the Quran. It kind of goes like this. I'll give you a a rough uh, uh, interpretation That Jesus, Allah, could see that Jesus was in trouble. So he rescued him into heaven. Not before taking the image off of Jesus and putting it on someone else. And that person went to the cross to fool everyone to think that Jesus died, but he did not. So that's what the Quran says about the the crucifixion. So if Jesus didn't die on the cross, if he didn't die, then he didn't uh, resurrect from the grave. So they believe the disciples stole the body and has, made a, you know, has been selling this hoax ever since. So folks, what does that mean? One quarter of our world is believing this. One in four people are now Muslim. This book tells them Jesus is not God. So see folks, if Jesus is not God, and if he didn't die, if you don't have the crucifixion, you don't have the blood atonement of man's sin, the payment of man's sin, and you don't have the resurrection, You and I, how can you and I believe that we'll be resurrected if Jesus wasn't resurrected? Are you following me? The proof that he can resurrect us is that he resurrected himself. So if you don't have those three things, you don't have the gospel. As I said, Muslims don't go to hell because um, they're Muslim. They go to hell because they reject Jesus Christ and his message. So Sharam was listening to this tape. And, uh, and as he listened to this tape, he couldn't stop listening to it. And he gave it back to the girl, and she said, I, what, you, did, you, did you like it? Said, well, <laughs> there were some things that offended me as a Muslim. But i got to say, that I'm, I'm interested in this, because in, in, uh, in Islam, if I'm going to get to heaven, I must die for my God. Remember I told you yesterday the blessings of the Shaheed? The only guarantee that a Muslim has to gain heaven, they must please Allah. And the one guarantee to bring great pleasure to him is to die as a martyr performing jihad, killing of the infidel. In fact, Muhammad said this, spending 60 minutes on the battlefield performing jihad is worth more than 60 years of praying 1 hour 60 minutes of jihad is worth more than 60 years of prayers so jihad is very valuable to Allah and they must please him and they must get these points to please Allah and so so my friend sharam was saying as a muslim For me to get to heaven, I must die for my God. But in Christianity, get this, in Christianity, it seems like your God died for you. What a way to put it. And that's true. God took on flesh and dwelt amongst us and laid down his life so that you and I could be ransomed and redeemed, and have our sins paid for. So Jesus said to Nicodemus, to the Jew, if you must be born again, if you're going to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. You had a spiritual death. You had your physical birth. One day you'll have a a physical death. Before then, you need to have a spiritual birth. You must be born again. You know, as I said, Muslims go to hell because they reject Jesus Christ. And this, and the fact is true, if the, is, is also this. You could be on your way to hell right now. If you reject Jesus Christ. You see, God's message of salvation is not. Depending on your color, not depending upon your race not depending upon your nationality, not depending upon your intelligence or your wealth or anything like that. God's message is equal for all. And what a tragedy it would be if you would miss heaven by rejecting Jesus Christ. Don't make that mistake.